It's a delight for me to introduce to you our guest preacher this morning, and it's been quite a while. It's taken a while for us to coordinate schedules for him to be here. Tom Glenn is a friend who actually lives in South Carolina uh, with his wife and not too far from his kids and grandchildren. Um, he is a Presbyterian pastor as well, and uh, one of the best things I can say about him, I think, to you is that he is someone, I haven't heard his sermon, but just judging from the passages and from the title, who lives his message. We've gotten to know each other on some very, uh, unique, in some very unique ways. Uh, we actually traveled. He helps lead pilgrimages to France. Uh, we actually sat in the worship experience at Taizé, France, which is a small town in France. You've heard of the music, Taizé music. Um, this is where thousands, literally thousands of young adults come to learn how to pray, and most of that prayer is in silence and learning how to be contemplative, to wait on God. And I remember very distinctly being in that worship experience with you, Tom, and a very, very moving time of being surrounded with all these young adults and uh, going up to pray around the cross in this contemplative worship service in France. Another experience where Tom has been very uh, involved in something that has been life-changing for me is that there's a seminary not far from here up in San Anselmo. It's called San Francisco Theological Seminary, but it's in San Anselmo. They have a wonderful program of training people to be spiritual directors. He's a part of the leadership team, and I am a student in my third year of that training. And he was my small group leader, one of my first small group leaders. And uh, in that very, very uh, important time of being formed and trained, Tom was a beloved listener and a very, very helpful guide. So it's my pleasure to introduce to you Tom Glenn and to invite him to the pulpit to bring us the Word of God. So welcome, Tom. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Uh, it's uh, indeed a pleasure to be here. Uh, Mary's a very good friend of mine and... Uh, I must say, a, a very wise and very good student in spiritual direction. So uh, I'm really glad to be here and, and glad for uh, my friendship with her. Uh, if you will join me in prayer. It is for you, O oh God that our hearts and our souls wait. We wait in silence. We wait as we sit here next to one another. We pray that you will move deep within our souls and within our hearts. with the wind and fire of your Holy Spirit. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to uh, read again the uh, passage from Isaiah. Uh, Thank you, Josh, for your good words with the children and with us. 
Listen now for God's word. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not faint or grow weary. God's understanding is unsearchable. The Holy One gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And also from the Gospel of Mark, listen to this parable of Jesus. Jesus also said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day. And the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know why or how. The earth produces of itself, first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. When my son, Matthew, was 10 years old, I'll have to say that he was, he was a very active kid. He was exhausting, actually, <laughs> at times. Uh, extroverted. Uh, I'm introverted. My wife is introverted. My daughter is introverted. And here's this little extrovert, you know, just all the time. <laughs> Uh, and in motion. So sitting through an hour of worship as a PK, a pastor's kid, was the trial of his existence. And he let me know that very often. Well, one day he and his mother, it was right uh, before Easter, and they, uh, they were at the stove and they were boiling water. Uh, they were going to do Easter eggs, and he's ready to go. So he keeps looking into the pot. So Susie finally says, you know, Matthew, a watched pot never boils. Well, he, and she explained a little bit to him what she thought that meant. He uh, went off into another room. About five minutes later, he came back, and he said, looked at her intently, and he said, You know, Mom, a watched preacher never stops talking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) he probably nailed that one. (laughs) 
A watched preacher never stops talking. So, I, I mean, I promise to you I, I will stop talking <laughs> at some point. Um, but on another level, honestly, I, I can relate to 10-year-old Matthew. Even at 70 years old now, I can, I can relate to that. And, and, Josh, you were saying some of these things. That, that some things take, seem to take forever, right? And I, for one, grow impatient. And I sometimes get frustrated. And I sometimes even get irritated. And I can especially grow impatient with what I often see as a lack of progress toward goodness and justice and grace and mercy and peace. I'm an avid, addicted reader, actually, of the New York Times, and uh, I read the day's news, and it seems like Seems like all we hear so often is more violence, more injustice, more conflict, more strife, more heartache. And there are times when I work really hard at something, when I work really hard at something I consider to be really good, something that is needed something that I hope will bring a modicum of more grace or more peace, justice. And yet there is day after day after day after day when it feels like nothing is happening. And I just feel like I'm spinning my wheels. You ever have that feeling? I'm sure you do. Impatience. Impatience. And I get impatient with God and I start to mutter to myself, God, is this really what you want me to do? Because if this is, if this is really what you want me to do, then you need to do something now. Right now. So in the midst of that impatient feeling, Jesus tells me this, tells us, really, this little parable. Isn't that just like him? The kingdom of God is if someone is if is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, night and day, night and day, and then finally. Yeah, that little plant right here as we all tried to stare at it and see it grow. Finally, it sprouts and grows. And he does not know how. And the message, at least to me, wait. Be patient. Keep praying. And, and keep working. It's not that we're inactive. Keep working on God's behalf. Keep working on seeing glimpses of God's reign, God's kingdom. Keep working on God's justice and grace and mercy. 
Keep at it. Because ultimately, you or I are not in charge. The seemingly slow, at least to us, but steady, faithful work of God. So let me tell you two stories. The first concerns the exemplar of faith, which we are looking at today. A man named John Woolman, perhaps you've never heard of him. Maybe you have. But John Woolman was, in every respect, an American saint. He was an American Quaker, born in 1720 in the American colonies in a small New Jersey town. He died in 1772, just four years before the American Declaration of Independence and the American Revolutionary War. He was a man who from early childhood was steeped in and formed by the Quaker ethos of reverence and simplicity and frugality and hard work. Thus, early in his adult life, equipped with a conscience shaped by the disciplines of silent Quaker worship and contemplation, a worship characterized by a waiting and listening intently and silently for the enlightenment of God's Holy Spirit, early in his adult life, he became increasingly burdened with the injustice and evils of slavery as it existed in the 18th century in the colonies of America. At that time, there were many Quakers, along with many others, of course, who did own slaves. So in the year 1843, when he was just 23 years old, John Woolman records in his journal that his employer asked him to write a bill of sale for the conveyance of an African-American woman, slave woman, a slave who belonged to his employer and was being sold. As an employee, he dutifully wrote up the bill of sale, but he was greatly disturbed, greatly troubled by having to do it. And he wrote in his journal that evening of his crisis of conscience, the crisis of conscience that this engendered in him, of what his faith and contemplation had led him clearly to see the unmistakable humanity and dignity of all people, including, of course, this African-American slave woman. How, he wrote, could he have participated in such a transaction? And could he ever do it again? The next time he was asked, he modestly but firmly refused. The seeds had been planted, you see. Early on, they had been planted. And now, it was coming into his conscience, beginning to sprout 
this glimpse of the kingdom of God. The slow work of God. For John Woolman, this event set in motion a whole series of events. It set in motion a lifetime of witness to the truth of the gospel for his time. He undertook to travel and visit Quaker families all over the colonies who owned slaves, visiting them with respect as fellow sisters and brothers in the faith, yet clearly speaking to them and in in their Quaker meetings when it came, when he felt the Spirit moving him to speak of what he surmised was now important to do. Planting seeds, waiting, working tirelessly through North Carolina and Pennsylvania and New Jersey, Virginia, sitting in Quaker meeting after Quaker meeting, day and night, day and night, day and night, in the reverent silences of these meetings, and then speaking his truth as he was moved by God's Spirit so to do. And largely because of his efforts, because of the efforts of this one man, listening within for the Spirit of God, largely because of his efforts, the Philadelphia Yearly Meeting of Quakers in 1758, some 100 years before the American Civil War, that Yearly Meeting of Quakers became the very first religious group in the United States to come out against the purchase and continued ownership of slaves. And prior to 1800, after Woolman had died, but again largely due to his efforts and his witness, every Quaker family in the state of North Carolina who owned slaves had emancipated them. Seeds planted, sprouted, having grown into signs of God's compassion and justice and grace. The slow but steady work of God, John Woolman, an exemplar of the faith, an American saint. A second story, a contemporary story, a a Catholic priest, Father Gregory Boyle, I would suggest to you another exemplar of the faith, an American saint still alive. He's written a book which is entitled Tattoos on the Heart. And in this book, he details his experience, and I, I can see someone nodding. Some of you, I think, probably have read it. It's a wonderful book. Details his experience of ministering in the heart of gang territory in Los Angeles, California, ministering to gang members within that violent, distorted context in which they live. Homeboys, they call themselves. Homies. Homies. 
The book is filled with story after story of his ministry, especially the ministry that he established called Homeboy Industries, which offers an opportunity to transition from gang life on the street into a more productive life. Many instances of seeds planted and planted again. Stories don't always have a good end, but nonetheless seeds planted and the Spirit of God breaking through someone's wounded and tattered life. Pedro was a greatly troubled kid, filled with measured rage and resentment from his chaotic life, so much so that he submerged himself as a a young, young teenager in first heavy drinking and then crack cocaine. As Father Boyle described him, he was, in his essence, among the gentlest and kindest kindest of homies. But eventually, he did disappear into that nether world of substance abuse. But daily, every day, Father Boyle would ask him, He would see him and he would ask him if he was ready to go to rehab. And he would gently decline with a sweetness that never grew defensive. He'd say, oh, thanks, G. That's what the homeboys called Father Boyle was G. Thanks, G. But I'm okay. But you never give up. You never stop asking. And Father Boyle would ask each day. And sometimes you you keep planting those seeds, and sometimes those seeds begin to sprout. And finally one day, finally one day, Pedro agreed. And Father Boyle immediately put him in the car and drove him to rehab north of Los Angeles, where he began the long, hard, slow work of returning to himself. Thirty days into his rehab, Pedro's younger brother, enfeebled by similar demons and mired in chemical dependence, put a gun to his head and took his life. And so it was with a heavy heart and with great trepidation that Father Boyle called Pedro. And of course, Pedro was devastated. But after 30 days of being sober, he somehow allowed the pain passage to his core, letting the sadness in. And this was new. This was new for him. Father G tells him he will pick him up for the funeral. But he makes a point to emphasize that he will be driving him back to his rehab directly after the funeral. And Pedro says, of course, G. I want to come back here. On the day of the funeral... 
Pedro is out front waiting for Father G. And any anxiety that Father G had about what to say to Pedro in this unimaginably tragic situation is alleviated immediately by Pedro's insistence on telling him a dream that he had had the the night before. Believe me, this convinces me God speaks to us in dreams. You were in it, Pedro said to Father Boyle, and so he begins. In the dream, Pedro and Father G are in a large empty room with no lights, no illuminated exit signs, no light even creeping up under the door, no windows, pitch darkness. Pedro says, though he seems, he knows that Father G is somehow with him. And suddenly, Father G retrieves a flashlight, pushes it on, and finds the light switch in the room, shining that narrow beam of light on the switch. In the, in the dream, Father G doesn't speak, just holds that beam steady, unwavering. Pedro says he somehow knows that he is the only one that can go across that room and turn on that light switch. He thanks Father G for having the flashlight and begins to carefully and with trepidation make his way to the light switch. He takes a deep breath and he flips it on. And the room is flooded with light. Now Pedro is sobbing at this point in the telling of his dream. And with a voice of astonishing discovery, this gang member homeboy, with seemingly all the strikes of life against him, says, and the light, the light is better than the darkness. He is now weeping, hardly able to continue. But finally he says, I guess, I guess my brother never found the light switch. Midst all of the pain and struggles of life, midst all of the injustices we encounter, midst all of the situations that are not fair that we encounter, we are nonetheless called upon to plant seeds this slow work of God.
sometimes possessing flashlights and occasionally knowing where to aim them has to be enough for us. For indeed, we are all, at one time or another, we all find ourselves in that dark, windowless room, fumbling for grace and desperately holding one another's hands. You aim the light this time. I'll do it the next. The faithful work of John Woolman, the faithful work of Father Boyle and the call to us to respond. Because with faith and trust in the deep, unimaginable, unending compassion and love of God, we hope and we wait and we work And we listen and we look always for the light, this astonishing light of God. Amen.